time we uh, kind of got sidetracked a little bit, not from what the Lord wanted, but from what my notes called for. And we really didn't cover anything from the book of Haggai. Uh, you, if you were here, you will recall we dealt more with the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. And uh, so I, I have a lot of ground to try to catch up tonight and uh, try to cover the last lesson plus tonight's lesson. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. Uh, I guess I'll just ask you to listen fast. How's that? And uh, we'll try our best in the next hour to get through as much of this as we can. To do that, I'm going to have to forego a lot of review. So I trust that you understand. I know we have folks who have not been able to be a part of each of these lessons or perhaps none of them. Um, but it is what it is. And I always say you are welcome to stop by the sound booth and ask for a recording of the lessons and then you can go back and catch up and understand everything that we're saying based upon the principles before it. This is our fourth time to be looking here at this short book of Haggai. And uh, so Haggai chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 has been our text and will be yet again tonight. Haggai 1 verses 1 through 5 in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month in the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest saying thus speaketh the Lord of hosts saying this people say the time is not come the time that the Lord's house should be built then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Think about what's going on in your life. Can I tell you, and, and I, I really, I don't want to get too sidetracked tonight, but let me just tell you that not every problem is from the devil. Not every difficulty that we face is the product of hell's involvement. For one thing, sometimes it's just life. Brother... Sisler walked in the office tonight and said something about it sounded like I had a cold. I, you know, I could blame that on the devil if I wanted to, but I don't really think it's the devil's fault. I think that's life. You know, it's kind of like folks that have a 24-hour virus. They come down for prayer, and 24 hours later, they're better, and they say, well, God healed me. Well, I, you know, I mean, I don't mind you giving God credit, but the fact is a 24-hour virus lasts for 24 hours. There are some things we try to make spiritual that really are just a matter of life. It's just life. 
If you're not watching where you're going and you walk into a tree, you know, that's not the devil's fault. Now, again, I don't mind if you blame him. I, I don't care. I, he blames us for a lot of things we're not guilty of, but some things are just life. And, you know, some things are brought on because of our own bad choices. It's not the devil's fault. I've got to be careful here, but it's not the devil's fault that I'm fat. That's a result of my own choices. That's right. And I'm going to tell you, if you go out in 20-degree weather, no coat, and you stay out there for a few hours, don't blame the devil when you get sick. You made a choice. Right? You, uh, you decide against... Uh, advice to do something and then the world falls apart around you, don't blame the devil for that. You made a decision. And you are reaping the results of your own decision. So some things are life, some things are the result of our bad decisions, some things are the devil. But I want to tell you, there are some problems, there are some difficulties, there are some situations we face it's not life, it's not our flesh, it's not the devil, it's God. Sometimes God brings bad things into our life because he wants to get our attention. If, if, if you're caught up on your Bible reading, if you're caught up on your Bible reading, I'm only hearing one or two say amen. Well, look, we're, 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 too, we're, we're too close to the first of the year for you to be falling behind already. Uh, yeah, get, get with it. Get on the balls. Get started. If you need another chart, get another chart. You can catch up. There's plenty of extra days built in. Get caught up. Get up to speed. Um, but if you're caught up on your Bible reading, you're reading right now in the book of Judges and you're seeing how the children of Israel would walk away from God. And so what happened? They were put into captivity. They were abused. They, the enemy came against them and prevailed. Was that the devil's fault? No. Was that life? No. I'll tell you what it was. God did it because God knew. God knew when the other nations came in how they would respond they'd finally cry out to God for his help. And there are times that God allows our lives to fall apart because he knows that's what it's going to take to get our attention. Well, and I'm going to tell you, and I mean this, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I would rather God keep me living a life of trouble if that's what it takes to keep me on my knees than for God to meet every request that I put to him and me forget about him and walk away. I want, look, I want to be saved. I don't care what God's got to do. I want to be saved. 
Eternity is too long for me to end up in the wrong place. There's no getting out of it. There's no do-overs. There's not a second bus you can catch. When you draw your final breath, it's over. And the decision is made. And you go wherever you're going. It's settled at that moment. And um, so I'm telling you, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, God do it. God do it. Because I want to be saved. How about you? I want to be saved. So this is part four of our study of the book of Haggai. And uh, hopefully, prayerfully, our conclusion to this study. But we'll have to see what happens. But I'm not off to a good start already, I'll tell you. I don't know that I'm going to get it all done. Why don't you put your Bibles down? Let's lift our hands. Let's lift our voices. Lift our hearts. Let's ask God to talk to us tonight. Could we do that? Everybody, let's, let's ask God to speak to us. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Let's praise him together, everybody. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. As I said, I don't want to take a lot of time in review. I would just remind you, because it is pertinent to what we hope to cover tonight, that Haggai is somewhat unique in his prophecy in that most of the other prophets prophesied prior to the Babylonian captivity, some of them during the captivity. For Haggai, it was after uh, the Jews had already started to return from that captivity and go back into their native land. And in fact, our very text hints at what was going on there, for they had been back in Jerusalem for some 16 years because of the decree of the king. And they had gone back with the explicit purpose of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city. And they'd gotten started on that noble cause. But uh, time and problems and the enemy distracted them and they, they left off the work and left there just uh, an empty foundation that was now covered by debris and uh, grown up with weeds and uh, it was anything but a house for God. But yet during this 16 years, they had not just sat around and twiddled their thumbs and marked the calendars, but they had spent time investing in their own lives and building their own houses and decorating their homes. And here within, within uh, their vision, they could see 
what was supposed to be God's house and it was lying waste, but yet they were content uh, to just live their own lives. My house is taken care of. My family's taken care of. And so the house of God and the things of God became a last priority for them. Now, uh, here's the situation. They had, as I said, begun this work and then they let it go. And then it was 16 years after it had all started that uh, Haggai started prophesying to them and said, you better consider your ways. He began to tell them the reason why nothing is working in your life is because you're not doing what God told you to do. Well, that's, that's what it was. God said, you go and you get a bag of money. And he said, I just poke holes in the bag and it doesn't go anywhere. And you get home, you don't have anything. He said, look, that's, that was me that did that. And I did it because I'm trying to get your attention. He said, you try to gather wheat and I just blow on the wheat and then you've got nothing left. You don't have anything to make bread with. You don't have any seeds to plant. There's nothing left. And he said, I did that. God said, I did that. I did that because I'm trying to get your attention. Is it time, the prophet said, for you to dwell in your well-decorated, that's what the word sealed means, your well-decorated homes. Your house has got everything. And God's house has nothing more than an overgrown foundation. God said, consider your ways, consider your ways. And so in this, in this short book, two chapters, there are really four sermons that Haggai preached, um, and, and uh, in these four different sermons, he had a specific call that he was issuing as the prophet of God to the people of God. Specific point that he was trying to make, and I told you when I started all this, I'm not just going back so you can know more about the book of Haggai, but I've really felt in my spirit, and I believe each night that I've taught on this, the Holy Ghost has confirmed that, that this is not just some ancient prophecy for the people of Israel, but there's a message in this book for New Life Pentecostal Church. There is something God's trying to get through to us through the midst of all of this. And if we can tune in, if we can tap in, if we can somehow realize and understand and recognize the voice of God, God wants to take us somewhere. God wants to do something very, very special. But we've got to hear his voice and we've got to respond to his voice. Amen. Chapter 1, we've already discussed, and it was a call to completion. It was get up and get to work. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, was a call to courage. Don't worry about the enemy. God's bigger than your enemy. And then uh, chapter 2, verses 10 to 19, uh, is the third message, and it was a call to cleansing. Now, uh, this, is, this brings us to where we are, because uh, we had started into this third message in uh, our third lesson, and uh, we didn't get all the way through it. We, we uh, covered verses 1 through 9, uh, but that's as far, uh, I'm sorry, verses, uh, verses 1 through 9 was the second message. We, we covered uh, verses 10 through uh, 19 last week, but actually uh, we need to go on. We need to go further. We went through verse 13 last week. We're going to pick up here. Uh, 
and uh, begin at that point. Now let me just remind you that this message was a call to cleansing. A call to cleansing. That's what we left off with. We talked about the incorruptible God, if you'll remember. That was the last thing that we discussed during that lesson, that you cannot, you cannot hang around unholiness. You cannot fellowship with unrighteousness and not be affected by it. Holiness, you'll remember, I pointed out to you, holiness is not contagious, but unholiness is. Righteousness cannot be passed on, but unrighteousness can. God's the only one that can pass on righteousness or holiness. We can't. And that's because he's an incorruptible God. So we, we got through verse 13. We've got to go through verses 16 through 19 just to finish this third message. And we're going to try to do that. But again, I wanted just to remind you that what we're dealing with in this is a call to cleansing. If we're going to do what God wants us to do, we're going to have to be ready to do that job. God calls upon his people to be clean, spiritually clean. I'm going to tell you, one of the worst, and I deal with false doctrine, I deal with this in Africa all the time, but I'm going to tell you one of the worst false doctrines that has ever been promoted within Christianity is once saved, always saved. It's one of the worst false doctrines that's out there. And the reason why is because it convinces people that once you've been saved, it doesn't matter what you do. So you can live any way you want to live. You can do anything you want to do. You can go anywhere you want to go. Say anything you want to say. You're still going to go to heaven. And I'm going to tell you, that's not what the scripture teaches. Nothing unclean is going to enter that city. So we got to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. We got to be clean to do what God wants us to do. And I said, I believe that God's got a message for this church, and I believe that this is part of the message. I believe this entire book. In fact, we've called this series of lessons an ancient message for the modern church. I believe everything in the book of Haggai, God has put within my heart to tell New Life Pentecostal Church, this is what he wants us to hear. This is what he wants us to know. This is his word for us right now. And part of this involves cleansing ourselves, being clean, being found acceptable in his sight. Praise God. Now, having said all that, let me explain something else about the Jewish mindset. Um, let's, before I do, let's, let's get 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 17. If any, man, if any man defiles the temple of God, now, now please get this. This is a New Testament scripture. I point that out because I deal with people all the time and say, well, you know, I know the Old Testament says don't do this and don't do that, but that's all under the law, and we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. Well, I'm taking you to the grace dispensation, and I'm showing you that the apostle Paul wrote to a one God Jesus name tongue-talking apostolic church. And he said to them, if any man defiles God's temple, God will destroy that man. 
And then he says, For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, in chapter 6, he says, Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost dwells within your body. In this passage, when he says, Which temple ye are, the word ye there is in the plural sense. He's not speaking to an individual, but he's saying as a church, you are the temple of God. As a local congregation, you are the temple of God. Now we know that God dwells in us if we have the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues. But in this passage, he's not talking about us as individuals. He is specifically talking about us as a church. In fact, and again, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but chapter 3 is dealing with divisions in the local church. This one didn't want to hang around that one. And this one didn't want to talk to that one. And so-and-so didn't want to be seen with so-and-so. And, and they started making claims that, well, you know, Paul is my pastor. And, well, Simon Peter's my pastor. And Apollos is my pastor. And then the fourth group said, well, Christ is my pastor. And that sounds really good till you think about it. Because what they're saying is, no man's going to tell me what to do. Really, that's what they're saying. I just hear from God. I don't need a preacher. I'll just hear from God. And I'm telling you, they were just as wrong, if not more so, than those that were trying to create factions within the church based on who their pastor was. Well, hallelujah. You do need a pastor in your life. You do need a preacher in your life. I need a preacher in my life. And I've been living for God for more than 40 years. I still need a preacher in my life. I still need somebody that can correct me and rebuke me if necessary. Well, praise God. Their attitude was, well, I'll just listen to the Spirit. The Spirit tells me what to do. I don't need a preacher. Well, yes, you do. And then Paul writes to them as a church, and he says, look, you as a church body are the temple of God. And if anybody defiles God's temple, God's going to destroy them. Now, a lot of times we've used this verse to deal with smoking and alcohol and whatever. The principle applies, but that's not really the message of this verse. The principle applies. We don't want to defile the temple of God. But, but there is more to defiling the temple than just smoking cigarettes or doing drugs. There's more to defiling the temple than that. Uh, as I said, I want to consider the Jewish mindset. The Jewish mindset. Now, again, with this in mind, I'm not talking about you personally. I'm talking about the church body. Everybody's with me. We are individually the temple of God, but we also are collectively the temple of God. And I'm addressing the temple of the church, the church body as a group to the Jews, the Levites. The Levites were given charge of the temple. 
It was their job to make sure that nothing unclean went in the temple. It was their job to make sure that every sacrifice was offered according to the scripture. It was their job to make sure that the candlestick was lit, that the bread was on the table, that everything that God had commanded them was done. And to the Jews, the temple became defiled, not just if some ungodly thing were brought in. But if those Levites failed to light that candle, if those Levites failed to put out the showbread, it was their failure to do what needed to be done that to the Jews, they saw that as defiling the temple. Now, thank God for three of you that are with me still. But here's what I'm saying to you. That if those who served the temple neglected their duties, then the temple became defiled. Oh, Jesus, help me. I don't know how we're going to get all the way to the end tonight, but help me, Lord. I'm going to tell you something, saints of God. We have an obligation, not just to ourselves, not just to our own walk with God. We've got an obligation to our brothers and sisters. God put us into the ch into this church. God could have put you anywhere. God could have placed you in any assembly he wanted to place you in. But God chose you. God directed you. God put you where you are. And because he did, he now gives you an obligation to see to it that the duties of the church are fulfilled. You've got duties. You've got obligations. I, I, I don't have time to get into all this, Brother Merriman. But there are things that as a part of the body, a part of the congregation, that you have obligations that if you don't keep them, you have defiled this temple. Are you with me? Look, and, and I know I don't I don't want us I don't want us praying just because we've got an obligation. But I'm gonna tell you this it's better to pray out of obligation than to not pray at all. And what I've found is if you can get somebody to pray it out of obligation, if they'll do it enough, they'll get to where they do it out of love. Well, praise God. I heard a preacher make a statement one time. He said, when I was young, my mother made me pray. She made me pray every night. I resented it. I got mad about it, but she didn't give up. She didn't back down. She made me pray every night. But he said, you know what? Somewhere along the way, something happened, and there was a transformation that took place, and finally it got to a point she wasn't making me pray anymore. I wanted to pray. I was anxious to pray. And he said, today I am so thankful for a mama that made me do what I needed to do. Well, if we let our kids do what they want, they'll eat candy all day. They'll never have anything nutritious. They'll stay in bed as late as they want to stay in bed. They'll never assume any responsibility. But you as parents teach them, look, you're a part of this family. You've got an obligation here. 
the same is true as saints of the most high God being a part of the church it's a great privilege it's a wonderful wonderful privilege but it brings with it obligations it's not my obligation alone as the pastor to make sure the lights are, paid, are, are on it's not my obligation alone as the pastor to make sure the water bills are paid This is our temple. Well, hallelujah. This is our temple. We're all a part of it. And so you've got an obligation to pay your tithes, to give offerings. You've got an obligation. You've got an obligation to pray. You've got an obligation to attend. That's a part of our obligation. It's being here. It's supporting one another. It's being a part of the family of God. We can't get out there and make it on our own. I've said it before. You may just you, you may say, well, all I am is just a little finger. Will you try cutting that little finger off and see if it doesn't affect the rest of the body? Also try doing something with just that little finger. And it's not connected to the body. And see how much you get done. We have an obligation. God made us a part of this body. Now we need to assume that obligation. We need to step up to the bat and do what we're supposed to do. We don't want to defile the temple. This was what Haggai was telling the people of Israel. It wasn't that they were out there just throwing trash on the foundation. It was that they were supposed to be out there building that building and they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, church, I'm not here. This is not a message of rebuke. This is a message to help us to understand there is a revival that God wants to give this church, but it's not going to rest on the shoulders of one or two people. It's not Brother Sisler's obligation to bring revival. It's not my obligation to bring revival. It's our obligation. We all need to be out there inviting people. We all need to be out there praying. We all need to be fasting. We all need to be doing whatever it's going to take to bring about this revival. We've all got to put our shoulders to the plow. We've all got to assume our own load. Somebody said one time, you know, stop and think about this. It takes six strong men to carry one dead man. Well, so we come into church and we're just dead. You know what you're doing? You're putting an obligation on everybody else that they've got to step up and do a little bit more. And they've got to worship a little bit more fervently. And they've got to pray a little bit harder. Because they're having to make up for the deficit that you left behind. I'm just saying to you, saints, let's get a revelation tonight that we've got to keep this temple holy. We've got to keep this temple the way God wants it to be. And the only way we can do it is if everybody that's a part will find out what their part is. What I like about the great revival in Ezekiel 37 was that part that says every bone came together bone to his bone. The, the ankle bone wasn't up on the shoulders. It knew it belonged down by the foot. It understood what its part was and it did what it was supposed to do. Yeah. 
Not everybody can be a Sunday school teacher. Not everybody can be a song leader. Not everybody can be an organist. Not everybody can be a preacher. But everybody can pray. And everybody can witness. And everybody can fast. Everybody can do something. James 4.17. I'll give you more New Testament scripture here to show you this is truth. James 4.17. Therefore to, Therefore to him that knoweth that to do good knoweth to do good and doeth it and not and doeth it not to him it is sin. Why is it sin? Because we've defiled the temple. Well, hallelujah. You know what this is? You know what this is? All right, just, there's a Bible reading chart. Just thought I'd throw that in for good measure. Hallelujah. We can print some more if we need them. Well, praise God. We've got an obligation. We've got an obligation. You know, we, we, we want to come in. Look, let, let me, I, don't, I really don't want to get, I've got to get to the end of this. But I've got to do what I'm feeling at the same time. So, so, so here we are. Um, but, you know, when Jesus performed the very first miracle, in fact, go over to John chapter 2. I, I don't need to just say this. I need to show you because there are some who maybe haven't seen it before. But the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed, and that is important. The Bible says it was the beginning of miracles in John chapter 2, verse 11. You know, there are stories out there that when Jesus was a child, he took clay and formed a pigeon, clapped his hands, and the pigeon came to life and flew off. Nonsense. Didn't happen. John said this was the very first miracle Jesus performed. That ends the discussion. This was the beginning of miracles for him. Now, here's what happened. You'll remember the story. The wedding's going on. And they run out of wine. They run out of wine. I don't believe it was alcoholic wine. We can debate that later. But uh, there are too many scriptures that warn against the use of alcoholic wine for Jesus to come along and say, oh, no, go ahead and get drunk. I, I don't think that happened. But anyhow, that's another subject for another day. But, but they, they had run out of wine. And, and so then... Mary comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Now, look, these people that are praying to Mary, they might want to go back and read John 2 and 4. Because it doesn't sound like to me Mary was very effective in getting Jesus to do things. I don't think I want to ask Mary to get my prayers answered. I think I'll just go straight to Jesus. Well, hallelujah. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour's not yet come. Well, she turned around and went to the servants. This is whatever he tells you to do. Do it. Now, we know the story. He turned. They, they went. They filled the water pots with water, and he turned it into wine. We know that. Now, let me just, let me just show you something. Go down to verse 9. Verse 9. John chapter 2, verse 9. Read for me. When the ruler of the feast when had the ruler tasted the water. Of the feast tasted the water that was made, that was wine, made wine. And knew not whence and he, it was. Look at this. He did not know where this came from. 
But the servants which drew the but water the knew. But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. Now, now look, here's what I want to show you. Nobody at that wedding even knew a miracle had taken place. Except Jesus and the servants. Now why did the servants know? Why, why did the servants know? Well look. Look, go back to verse 6. Read for me verse 6. And there were set there six water pots six of stone. Six water pots of stone. In the manner of the purifying of the Jews. Uh-huh. Containing, containing two or three two firkins apiece. Containing two or three apiece. firkins apiece. Now, th these, this, this was about 20 to 30 gallons of water. All right? 20 to 30 gallons per water pot. There are six of them. If we take the low figure of 20... And there are six of them. That's 120 gallons. That's a good bit of water. And they didn't have a faucet to set it under. And they didn't have a garden hose to run to the pot. They had to go find the nearest well. And they had to carry it a bucket load at a time. I don't know what their buckets held. Two gallons, three gallons, five gallons maybe. It's going to take a lot of five-gallon buckets to get 120 gallons of water. And they didn't stop with just pouring some water in. Jesus said to them, verse 7, Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots fill with water. Fill these water pots. And they filled and them they up to the brim. filled them to the brim. They didn't stop. You know, we ask for, for a waitress to fill our glass, and they stop a couple inches from the top. That's what we want. You go all the way to the top, it's going to spill when you pick it up. But when Jesus told these men to fill it, it would have been easy for them to say, look, we've made enough trips to the well. But they didn't. He said, fill it. It's going to be full when we get through. I'm going to tell you, when they got through carrying 120 gallons of water, nobody's going to convince them there's anything but water in those water pots. They did the work. The rest of the wedding party enjoyed the miracle, but there was a few of them that had to do all the work. Now, I wonder what would have happened if 120 at that wedding would have each just gone and gotten one gallon. Sure would have been a whole lot quicker to get it done. It would have been a lot easier to get it done. But that's what we do in so many church services. We just kind of come in. Our mind's not really on church. We just hope maybe God will talk to us. Maybe we'll feel a little something. Maybe we'll get a goosebump. But there are a few people that are picking up some buckets, Brother Sisler, and they're going to the well, and they're getting as much as they can get. They want the Holy Ghost to move, and they're doing their part to make it happen. I'm preaching to you, church. We've all got an obligation. If we really want this revival to come, if we really want God to do what he said he's going to do, then let's everybody pick up a bucket. Let's oh, I feel this tonight. Let's everybody grab a bucket. Let's everybody get to the well. Quit expecting those around you to worship the glory down. Quit expecting those around you to sing the glory down. Quit expecting those around you to pray the glory down. Quit expecting the preacher to preach the glory down. 
wicked. Woo! I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, I, I wouldn't embarrass him for anything, but I'm going to be honest with you. There's a whole lot of us drink wine, many services. And a lot of that wine started flowing because one man's here by about 4 o'clock or 4.30 every day before church praying. For two hours, three hours, he's praying. You know what he's doing? He's making some trips to the well. And we're enjoying some wine when we get in here that we really didn't do anything to get. Thank you, Brother Weems. Thank you for being an example in prayer. Thank you for your concern. I'm not saying this to embarrass you. I mean it from the depth of my heart. Thank you for making those frequent trips to the well and bringing back some gallons for the rest of us that are just kind of drug in here and we really weren't even thinking about anything. Oh, God, help us. Help us. Give us a vision tonight and let us see there is a revival, but God's waiting on some more of us to get a hold of the bucket. All right, all right, all right. I got 15 minutes and uh, a little over two pages. We'll see. Oh, I can. I can do it, yes. I, I've got no doubt that I can. My doubt's not about whether I can. My doubt's about whether I will. That's, that's where my doubt. Now, look, I want to I show you something very very, very important here. The real significance of the book of Haggai lies in the fact that the very year in which he uttered this prophecy, 520 B.C. I don't want to bog you down with details, all right? I know folks, they start... Their eyes start rolling back in their heads when I start going into too many details. I don't want that happening. Just hear me. 520 B.C., the year that Haggai got up and prophesied. Now, that's important. It's important. And here's the reason why. I said, I said in my introductory remarks tonight, actually before I even introduced, I was just talking, and I made the statement that the way the Jews emphasized things was to repeat it. Anybody remember me saying that? Well, let me show you something very quickly here, Brother Merriman. We're going to do this quickly. 2 Kings 25, verse 1. It came to pass in the ninth year of his reign. In the ninth year of his reign. In the tenth month. In the tenth month. The tenth day of the month. In the tenth day of the month. Nebuchadnezzar, king, Nebuchadnezzar of king of Babylon, came. He and all of his hosts against Jerusalem and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about. Now, 2 Kings 25, 1 gives us the exact day that Nebuchadnezzar started overthrowing Israel. Jeremiah 25, verse 4. I'm sorry, 52. I got dyslexia tonight. 
It came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth in month. In the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month. In the tenth day of the tenth month. day of the month. That Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon King of came, Babylon came. He and all his army. He and all his army. Against Jerusalem. Against Jerusalem. Pitched against it. Uh-huh. And built forts against it round about. All right. Ezekiel 24, verses 1 and 2. Again, in the ninth year, in the tenth month. In the ninth year, the tenth month. The tenth day the of the tenth month. The tenth day of the month. The word of the Lord came to me saying. The word of the Lord saying, came to me saying. Son of man. Son of man. Write thee the write name of the day. the name of of the day, even this even same day, of this same day, the king of Babylon, the king of Babylon, set himself, set himself against, against Jerusalem, Jerusalem this day. This same day. Now listen, three times, three times, three different writers told the exact day that the siege against Jerusalem began. You know, if there, if God's repeating this, there's a reason. It's significant. It's important. Well, praise God. Because you see, Jeremiah had also prophesied it's going to be 70 years. And so God said to Ezekiel, write it down. Mark the day. I want everyone to know the exact day that all this began because God said it's going to be 70 years. Now look at what happens. Haggai chapter 2 verse 10. In the 4 and 20th day of four the ninth and 20th month. day of the ninth month. In the second, the year, second of Darius, year of Darius came the word, came the Lord the word of the Lord Haggai, in the Haggai the prophet saying. In the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month, the second year of Darius. Again, exact dates are given here. Let's go to uh, chapter 2 verse 15. And now I pray you. Consider from Consider this day and upward. From this day and upward. From before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. All right, go down to verse 18. Read verses 18 and 19. Consider now from this Consider day and upward. Consider now from this day and upward. From the four and twentieth day of the ninth month. Yes, read. Even from the day that the from foundation the of the Lord's the temple was laid. The foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. Consider it. Is the seed, is yet, the in seed the barn? yet in the barn? Yea, as, Yea, yet, the as vine, yet the vine and the fig, and the tree, fig tree, the pomegranate, the, pomegranate, the olive, tree, olive tree, hath not brought, not brought forth. forth. From this from day will this I bless day you. will I bless you. From this day. Now this day was significant. From the attack on Jerusalem, which was given a specific date, until the day that Haggai said, starting today. At that very moment, the 70 years was up completely. Now it wasn't 70 calendar years. But it was 70 years of 12 months, with each month having exactly 30 days. That's the way God figured it in the beginning. God didn't have 365 on a fourth day when God created. All right? God figured the days 12 months, 30 days to a month, and that's the way God still figured. Man didn't change the figures of God. This is one reason why we have such a hard time trying to set the date of the Lord's return. We don't know how God's figuring but I'm here to tell you that if you count those days, 70 years times 12 months times 30 days, you get 25,200 days. And it was exactly 25,200 days from the time Nebuchadnezzar said, we're overthrowing Jerusalem to the time Haggai stood up and said, from this day forward, I'm going to bless you. I'm telling you, it was a proclamation. The judgment is over. The dark days are over. Everything is turning around. This is the day when blessing begins. This is the day when revival comes to pass. 
You hear me? God's got a day for everything. God's got a time for everything. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, that's when God poured his spirit out. And you hear me, new life? I don't know what the day is, but God's already got a day on his calendar when revival is going to break out in this house. And all of hell is not going to stop it. I'm going to tell you, I'm nobody. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I am convinced, Brother Jared, that God put this, this book on my heart weeks ago for a reason. I believe, I believe with all my heart that that day when God speaks to new life and says from this day forward, things are different. I believe that day is nigh at hand. I wish some more of you believed that. I know, I know, I feel that spirit of unbelief. And some of you say, oh, we've heard that before. We've heard it. Go ahead and doubt all you want to doubt. I'm going to tell you like the prophet said. You're going to see it, but you won't taste it. But there is a revival. There is a revival that has been proclaimed for this church. And God's picked the day. And there is coming a moment when God's going to say from this day forward. God doesn't miss it. God doesn't postpone it. When God sets a day, man can change the calendar, but it didn't change God. Well, I'm telling you, church, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised, Brother Sisler, if it's not this very night that God is saying to this church, maybe that's why God's postponed me getting to this point until tonight. It may... Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. It may be this very night that God is saying to this church, look, the long night is over. The dark clouds have passed. The fog has rolled away. The locusts have been sent out. I, this day, will begin to restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. The canker worm and the palmer worm. I'm going to give you back those years. Oh, Jesus. All right, all right. I think if I keep moving, I'll get it done. I think if I keep moving, I'll get it done. I said I had, I had a little over two pages in 15 minutes. I got seven minutes left and a little over a page. So I, I'm, I'm on target here. So that gets us through that third message. And now we want to look at the last message. God has already said, this is the day. I'm starting at this day. Your captivity is now over. It's over. It's done. It's behind you. It's in the past. Starting today, a brand new day has dawned. And nothing's going to be the same from this day forward. Then, immediately after he concludes, that was verses 18 and 19 that we read. From this day 
From this day will I bless you. That's verse 19. The fourth message starts in verse 20. And on that same day, Haggai addresses the priests. God gives him another message. And that message was directly to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the leader of the exiles. Zerubbabel was a descendant of David, the man after God's own heart. Well, praise God. Zerubbabel was the man that God chose to bring about this great revival that is pictured for us in the book of Haggai. Read for me verses 21 through 23. Speak to Zerubbabel. Speak. Now look, Haggai, you've been talking to the people. You've been talking to the people. You've preached to the people. But now I've got a message for an individual. Speak to Zerubbabel. The governor of Judah. Governor of Judah. Saying. And say. I will shake the heavens and the earth. shake the heavens and the earth. And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm going to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. And I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. My God, I feel this tonight. I'm going to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. And I'm going to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow, and I'm the overthrow their chariots. And those that ride. I'm going to overthrow those that ride in those chariots. Horses I'm going to overthrow the horses down. that pull those chariots. Everyone by the sword of his brother. I'm going to have the heathen turning on each other. They're going to destroy themselves. Read in that day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts. Saith the Lord of hosts. Will I take I'm going to take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant. I'm going to take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son, the of, son Shealtiel. of Shealtiel. Saith the Lord. The Lord and will make thee and I'm going to make thee as a signet. For I have chosen for thee. I have chosen thee. Saith the Lord of saith hosts. Saith the Lord of hosts. You know what a signet was? You understand what a signet was? It was a stamp. It was a seal of authority. This is what the prodigal son, we talked about the prodigal son in our last lesson. This is what the prodigal son was given. He wasn't given a diamond ring. He was given a signet. That's why it said it went on his hand and not on his finger. It was kept in a pouch under his sleeve. It was a signet. What happened was the father restored to that prodigal his authority in the family. The signet was the symbol of authority. And God said to Zerubbabel, he's already told the people, this is the day, this is the day that it all starts. Now he said, I want to tell you something, Zerubbabel. I am going to make you a signet. I am going to make you the seal of my authority because I have chosen you, saith the Lord of hosts. Hear me, church. When God gets ready to do a work, he will always authorize a leader, a specific leader, and he says, you're the man that's going to do what I have wanted you to do. Well, hallelujah. 
Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Then he called his Jesus 12, called disciples, his 12 together, disciples together. Gave them power and here's authority. here's what he did. He gave them power and he gave them authority over all, over all of the devils and to cure, and to cure diseases. And he sent them, he to, sent preach them to preach the kingdom, the kingdom of God, of God and to heal the sick. I'm going to tell you something, church. Just a few weeks, there's a transfer that's going on. But you hear me? I didn't pick this man. God picked this man. You hear what I've got? to say to you tonight God has chosen he's going to send a revival to this city and to this church amen and he picked the man and he said this is the man and I'm going to make you as a signet I'm giving you the authority to overcome every spirit in this city I'm giving you the authority to overthrow the horses and the chariots and those that ride therein Ah, God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. The pastor has the authority that he needs to get the job done. Let me show you Revelation. I'm trying to hurry. I'm at 9 o'clock. I've used up my time. I've got two more passages of Scripture and I'm done. Give me just a few minutes. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That's John writing about Jesus. When I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand he upon me. He laid his right hand upon me. Saying unto me. And he said to me. Fear not. Fear not. I'm the first I'm and the, the last. I'm the first. I'm the last. I am he that liveth. He didn't say I'm the second. He said I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm he that liveth. And was dead. Was dead. And behold. Behold I'm alive, alive forevermore. forevermore. Amen. Amen. And have the keys and of I hell the and keys. of death. I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things. If I want to lock the devil up, I can lock him up, and he can't do anything about it. Well, read, 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 read. Write the things Write which the thou things hast seen, seen, and the things the which things are, which are, and the things and which the shall things be hereafter, which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven the stars. Mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest which in my thou right sawest. hand. Now get this. The seven stars which thou sawest, where? What does the right hand signify? We've, we've taught that around here, haven't we? When the Bible says that, that Stephen looked up and saw Jesus at the right hand of God, he wasn't talking about a physical place because God's a spirit that's everywhere. You can't find the right hand or left hand of something that's everywhere. It was a symbol of power. And God said the seven stars, amen, are in my right hand. I have them. They have my power, my authority. And what are those seven stars? And the seven, the seven stars 
are and the seven golden candlesticks. Read the seven, seven stars, stars are the angels are of the, the seven angels. churches. That is the Greek word angelos. That's not winged creatures with halos. That is messengers. The seven stars are the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest, which are, the thou sawest are the seven churches. But here's what he said. There were seven stars and he said they were in my right hand. Those stars, he said, are the messenger or the pastor of the church. You got to understand that when God picks a man, God doesn't send him out there to fight on his own or to try to do it by his own logic or his own abilities. But God has him in the right hand of his power and his authority. And he says, whatever comes up against you, you just use my hand. I'll take them down for you. I'm trying, I'm trying. Sister Becky, come, come, come. God has a man for every situation. And he will use that man to accomplish his plan and his purpose. The devil is doing everything he can in this hour to destroy the ministry. I'm telling you, the devil wants to bring the ministry down. That's right. When I was growing up, there were youth leaders and there were music directors. Now they are youth pastors and music pastors. And one church I saw even had a sports pastor. You want to know why they're doing that? Because the office of pastor is something God invested in. And they want to put everybody else up on the same level. And they want to pull the pastor down to everybody else's level. It's another reason why they've gone from Pastor Smith to Pastor Joe. Because they don't, they don't want you to have respect. Well, they don't want you to have respect. I'm going to tell you what, if I needed an attorney, I wouldn't walk into the attorney's office and say, well, hello there, Counselor Bob. I'm going to show respect to that man. I need him. I need his help. I'm going to show respect. Well, hallelujah. But, but the world wants to try to bring the level of the pastor down, down to where everybody else is and elevate everyone else up as though this man really has no more authority than, say, the person that leads the singing. They got the same authority as the pastor does. No, they don't. He didn't say that the seven music directors are in my hand. He didn't say that the seven athletic directors are in my hand. He didn't even say the seven youth leaders are in my hand. But he said those pastors, those men who have got to carry a message to the church, I am going to put them in the palm of my right hand, the seat of all of my power and authority, and I'm going to let them accomplish the work that I have called them to do. Let's stand. Isaiah 41, verses 9 through 10. Isaiah 41, now hang on, hang on. Isaiah 41, verses 9 and 10. Brother Sisler, in fact, I tell you what, I don't want brother. What's your name? Merriman. <laughs> Pastor Andrew. 
No. No. I, 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 don't, I don't want him to read this. I, I want to read this. Because I believe this is from God to you. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God has a man. God has a work to do. And God has sent the man to this city. It's revival time at New Life. Oh, look, that's so weak. I need some folks that believe what I'm saying right now. It's revival time at New Life. It's time for backsliders to come home. It's time for sinners to come to this place and kneel at this altar. It's time for the lukewarm to get on fire for God. Many years ago, and I'm closing with this, many years ago God directed me to a church to become the pastor there. This was long before I even knew that Olathe existed. Shortly after I got there, one of the ladies in the church, she was a new convert. She came to me, and she said, i got to tell you something. I said, Okay. She said, this has really troubled me, our pastor leaving. It troubled me. It troubled me. She had prayed through under him. In fact, was a brand new convert. Hadn't been there just a matter of weeks, if I remember correctly. Maybe, maybe a couple of months, but not, not a long time. So this was the only pastor she had known. and She said, I was so upset and so torn that our pastor was leaving. And she said, I started praying, God, why are you doing this? Why? Why has this got to happen? What's, what's the purpose behind all this? And I don't remember if it was in a dream or if it was just in prayer that she said the Lord spoke to her. I think it might have been a dream. I don't remember. But she said the Lord spoke to her and said, I have someone better that I'm sending you. And she said, I felt a peace about it. Now, I'm going to tell you something, church. It wasn't that I was better than the last man by men's standards. It wasn't that I was better at him spiritually or better than him spiritually, better than him intellectually. That, that, that's the only reason that God said I was better is because I was the man God had chosen for that moment. 
And that's what makes a man better because he's God's choice. And if that man ever forgets that he's God's choice. I wasn't there because I was great and I was intelligent and I was spiritual. But God in his wisdom chose me and said to her, be at peace. This is better. It's not to brag on me. It was, I hope you're getting what I'm saying. It was that this was the choice of God for that moment. And what God had planned for that church at that time, the man that had been there, was not the one God wanted to do that work. And so if he had stayed and God didn't want him there, it would have been a disaster. I, I, just, I just want to say to you tonight, church, I want to say to you tonight, God knows so much more than any of us know. God understands things that we will not comprehend until we get to the other side. You hear me? We'll understand it better by and by. By and by, we'll understand it better. But I want to tell you, God's chosen a man, and he's done it for a reason. 21 years, God has built us up for this moment and for this hour and for this time. Well, hallelujah. And I believe the door is opened. And I believe if not tonight, and I sure felt it strong tonight, I just don't have quite enough confidence to say the Holy Ghost said, but I felt it strong. But if not tonight, in the very near future, I believe the voice of God is going to say this is the day. From this day forward, things will not be the same at New Life Pentecostal Church. Everything's changing. Now look, I may be moving into a new role, but my heart is still right here, and I'm still going to be here as much as I can be here. And I want nothing more than to see this place explode with growth and revival. And I'm going to be doing everything I can do to hold this man's hands up, to support him, to stand behind him, to encourage him, to pray for him. Because this is God's choosing. And this is God's doing. Well, hallelujah. God's got something great for this church. He's got something great for this church. You hear? I've been saying it for 21 years. God's got something great. And again, it's not because we're better than anybody else, but God chose us. And for 21 years, I've been telling you that God's going to put this place as a beacon to this metropolitan area. Have I been saying it or haven't I? 21 years I've been telling you God's got his eye on this church. And God's going to do something great around here. And I'm going to be a part of it. 
And you need to make up your mind you're going to be a part of it. I'm going to carry the water, Brother Sisler. I'm going to go to the well every chance I get. I'm going to bring back as much of it as I can bring. Because when those sinners start walking through the door, I want them to say, we've never tasted anything this good. We've never tasted anything this good. Oh, hallelujah. I feel it tonight. Come on, is there anybody here that feels a witness of the Spirit? I'm preaching the truth to you tonight, church. It's victory time. It's revival time. It's growth time. It's soul winning time. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. These altars are open tonight. Say, what do you want us to pray about, preacher? I'll tell you what. We need to come in and say, God, I don't want to defile the temple. You got something great going on. I want this to be the night when you speak. I want to hear your voice say, from this day forward, I'm going to bless you. From this day forward, I'm taking the curse away. Help me, God.